Hey everybody, today in the Multiply Podcast, we're talking about the one thing every team needs. Check it out. Hey everybody, welcome back or welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. My name is David and we're back. We're back. Six month hiatus filled with holidays and COVID and travel Yep, and a five-month friendship rift that has just recently been restored. Yep, that's the truth of why we had to take a break, everyone. Yeah, we had a lot of stuff to work out. You guys have probably noticed it over the over the years of the podcast. A lot of issues that mm-hmm. needed to be reconciled, and so after three times a week couple counseling mm-hmm. for six months, we're here. Yeah. We're back. Couple counseling meaning Fortnite <laughs> games together. <laughs> Yes, that's no, not true. We didn't the, fight. The reality is we don't have a great excuse, but life kind of happened, and so we we pressed pause. But you know, the, the the our friends out there, our five friends that listen regularly, began to text us and say, "Where are you guys?" It was What's getting overwhelming. Yeah, it was really getting a message every four or five weeks asking about the <laughs> multiply podcast became just too much to handle. So we right. figured we better just start this thing back up. We better up. get it back, yeah. But, uh, man, it's it's uh, good to be back. It's the new year. It's 2022. We're already into February. We just had Valentine's Day. Yeah, and we should let the people know um, we have restarted. If you've listened in the past, there's a little thing that we did last year in the new year that people enjoyed following along, oh, and we have right. restarted this. And yep. that is the now, unfortunately, annual <laughs> <laughs> weight loss challenge. Unfortunately or inevitably. <laughs> Both. Yeah. Uh, so we're back at it. We, back You and it. I basically. About 10 days in. Basically, yeah. And we're uh, just so you know, our starting point is basically exactly what it was last year <laughs> when we started this. That is actually very true. Yep. So, but we're back. Yeah. And uh, why don't you let the people know? We just, we had our first one week weigh in. Yeah. Uh, it's you, myself, and two other friends, mm-hmm. and um, I think you have some exciting news as far well, as week I, one. I jumped out to an early lead with a seven-pound loss That's in ridiculous. week one. I, I, I actually, when you texted me, I realized this. I said, he just lost a small baby. <laughs> a newborn. <laughs> you literally lost the weight of a newborn. Well, the truth is, and I know you guys did the same, is leading up to our weigh-in, I, I just ate and ate and ate. I just wanted to get <laughs> as heavy as I could to give myself an advantage in this I know. Uh, thing. I can't and believe then, you got up to you know, 400 pounds. That seven, those, those seven, like, losing seven pounds in one week means I'm not going to lose anything this week probably. But yeah. It's still, even if you don't, it's a three and a half pound average over two weeks. I mean, it's still not bad. It's not still bad. great. So, yeah. so you're, the, you're the leader right now. Yeah, and you and, you and Mark were around the same, three or four pounds you both lost, yep. I think. And yep. then our buddy Jeremiah actually gained point something, <laughs> but he also so, weighs way less than any of us. So I don't even know why he's in it. I yeah. think he's in it to mock us. That's true. That's true. But, but we'll keep you guys posted as we go along. So far, Dave is in the lead. We'll see how long that lasts. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, we're back. We're excited. And today we want to talk about the one thing every team needs. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think this is particularly an important topic given where we're at in our culture and all the chaos, a lot's happened over the last six months since you and I have been underground. Um, but it's, it's easy to say we've probably never been in a more divisive time recently than we are right now. There's so much happening, so easy to get our teams, our churches, our businesses, organizations off track. And so we wanted to start off coming back with talking about the one thing every team needs. So Dave, introduce, before we dive into the nitty gritty, what is the one thing? Yeah. 
So we're actually um, coming off the Super Bowl just this past Sunday where the Rams defeated the Bengals. And we're big Ugh. we're big sports fans, and I don't think either of us knows very much about either of those teams because I didn't even know those two teams were in the NFL before this year. Um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I knew that. Kind of kidding. But every now and then. I didn't know Macaulay Culkin started as quarterback for the Bengals. Yeah, That's wild. Yeah, amazing journey he's made. <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, I've been on some sports teams over the years. Obviously, you have. But being big fans of sports, every now and then you'll see a team that shouldn't be another team because of a talent gap, right? And so one team is clearly more talented than the other, but the other team is able to beat them. And often it's attributed to chemistry. That's a word that we use a lot in the sports world, chemistry, that they just work together well. But I think the, you know, the thing that every team needs the most, the one thing every team needs is unity, um, that they're fighting for the same thing, that they're pulling in the same direction, that they're working together, that there's even a level of love and respect for one another. And right. As you were saying, right now, it's an increasingly hard world in which to love and respect people, it seems like, because we're more, it's more evident in the areas that we don't agree, right? We got, not only do we have politics, but now we have uh, disagreements on vaccines, disagreements on masking, disagreements on all sorts of different matters. And in the midst of all that, great teams know how to focus on what, what matters most and stay unified on the things that are important. And so... There's actually a passage in Philippians that I think is really interesting. Paul is in the Roman prison. He's writing a letter to the church in Philippi. And this is one of the few times in all of his letters that he actually kind of calls someone out by name. And in Philippians chapter 4, I actually want to read these two verses, verses 2 and 3. Um, and I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce these women's names, so I apologize to them. But they've just, been dead just for 2,000 years. Just say it really fast. All right. I entreat Yodia. Nice. And I entreat Syntyche. Mm, well done. Okay. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche. Of course, that word entreat, is he's not just asking them. There's passion to this. There's a deep desire. I entreat these two women to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, he's asking somebody else, we don't know who, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And so in just these two verses, Paul is addressing an issue, an issue of disunity in the early church that is apparently significant enough that he needs to include it in this letter, and a letter that would have been publicly read, right, at the gathering to the entire church. And I saw, even though there's not a lot here uh, in this text in terms of amount of content, I actually think there's five things that we can learn here on uh, five principles about unity or five principles about a culture of unity. Um, and I'll just jump in. I think the first thing that we learn here is that a culture of unity isn't optional. Uh, unity is something that we can and should expect from leaders. Specifically, if you're leading in a church context, which is who Paul was writing to, um, Paul completely expected unity amongst church leaders. In fact, so much that he asks for it publicly. And I, I like to envision this moment where whoever was pastoring in Philippi stands up in this little room in somebody's house and begins to read this letter from Paul, and Yodia and Syntyche are sitting in the room, and he gets to this part, and he reads their names out loud, and I always think of, like, you know, the whole room being like, ooh, <laughs> they're in trouble. But Paul doesn't dodge the issue because he knows that unity isn't optional. In fact, he sees unity, I think, as a threat to their primary mission which he references in this verse, working for the gospel mm. side by side. And um, 
So number one principle here is that a culture of unity isn't optional. And I think one of the things, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, that that we need to be clear about maybe now more than ever, is that unity and uniformity are not the same thing. We seem to live in a culture where we can't have unity if we don't have uniformity. In other words, if you don't agree with my stance on this or my worldview when it comes to this matter, whether it's an ethics matter or a moral matter, then we cannot maintain meaningful, healthy relationship. And so we've kind of confused unity and uniformity. And I think in the church culture, it's important that we realize we can be unified without being uniform Mm -hmm. in everything. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's so important and yet so difficult and I feel like uncommon today because it like number 1 it's a biblical principle that totally is in opposition to culture, right? Like mm-hmm. that's we we're, we're so tribal, I think, yeah, in our word. human nature that it's the inclination of our the human heart is to run and collect around a group of people that share the same ideology and whatever. So it could be like crazy people like that, like Liverpool, Liverpool football, like you. You better watch yourself. <laughs> but obviously, politics in America is a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen this, like you mentioned, the vaccine, masks, whatever your opinion is on certain things. It's like a normal person who you could not stand at all, and then you find out, oh, you share my opinion on that. Oh, we're brothers or sisters. Like all of a sudden, now we're so close, right? Right. And it's 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 such an interesting indication of the human heart. But what what Paul's laying out, and I think Christ lays this out, it's the biblical principle, is that when the gospel sinks into our heart, it tells us that we are unified in a way that is more powerful and more significant than any other thing that could disunify us. Mm-hmm. So as the leader, what you're saying is the culture is, of unity isn't optional. And unity and uniformity are not the same thing. As the leader, what it means is that that is something that you have to absolutely fight for. Celebrate. Celebrate. Diversity. and Right. It it actually should be a goal, right? Right. Do you agree with that? Like it should be, I always felt this way, is you should have friends in your life, people that you love and care about, who you can really go at it and disagree on issues. Oh, it's because you love debating. (laughs) It, maybe you don't have to be into debating as much as I do, but you should have people that you love and care about who disagree with you on significant issues, and it doesn't affect the way you get, guys care about each other. Yeah. I feel like that's that's a healthy reflection it's of maturity, right? It's maturity. And the same is true in our church. Our churches should be filled with people who have different political beliefs, different different ideas on different things. Like they don't have to agree on everything, but what they do have to do is have the main thing be the main thing in front of them at all times. So people are all going, hey, don't buy into the the trap, you know? Mm-hmm. So Yeah, and it's a it reminds me of a quote I share often from D.A. Carson in his book Love in Hard Places, where he's talking about the church and he says the church is a band of natural enemies who love each other for Jesus' sake. I think that captures so well, like when you look around at your church or even at your church leadership team, are these people does everybody agree on everything? Yeah. And sometimes we think that's unity, but that's uniformity. Right. And actually, uniformity can be an obstacle to growth because you get a limited perspective. I remember reading an article years ago that was kind of pushing back on the popular statement, two heads are better than one or three heads are better than one or whatever that statement is. And their point was that's only true if those heads think differently from mm-hmm. each other. Yeah. Otherwise, it can actually be worse because now you just have this ongoing confirmation that you're both right. 
and you're less open to other ideas yeah, and other true. perspectives. And so I think even if you're leading a team and you're listening to this, look at your team. If you're a youth pastor, look at the makeup of your youth staff. If you're a senior pastor, uh, if you run a company, a business, look at your vice presidents, look at your directors and your managers. Are these people who would automatically like each other and hang out if they didn't work together? And if the answer is yes, instead of being so quick to celebrate that as a win, you may need to look closer and go, is it holding us back in some ways? Because uniformity is not unity. And, and something you said, actually, you mentioned like, you know, being in a church context and learning something about someone else that you have in common with them and getting super excited about it. I think a good metric is, are you more excited about that than you are excited about the fact that you both love and serve Jesus? Yeah. Right. Anytime something Anytime having a specific thing in common with another person means more to you, like, oh, we both support that um, politician or we both feel this way about this social issue and now we're really connected. Yeah. Now, I understand that's human nature, but when that connection becomes more important to you than the connection you share in Christ, then I think it's po- it's pointing at an issue of you're not actually, it's not about unity, it's about uniformity. Yeah. And as the leader, this is the this is the the key here. You are responsible to fight for that mm-hmm. culture. Mm-hmm. This is your job, which means you got to be really care- careful about what you say, what you promote, what you celebrate or don't celebrate. All of those things you can easily um, prevent this from happening in your church organization or whatever based on your style and your approach of what you say and celebrate. So. Yeah, we're in the process at our church of. Um, considering some new board members we have our meeting actually this our annual business oh, meeting this that's, sunday that's weird you haven't you haven't asked me yeah board b-o-a-r-d not b-o-r-e-d <laughs> all right i guess I'll, um, wait. I'll wait for the invite <laughs> but you know one of the names that came up um one of the strengths of that individual that i shared with the committee that is responsible to nominate them is that they do tend to see things differently than other people that are already on the board and i've seen this at work in the past and this individual's perspective selfishly I could say it slows us down a little bit because they're seeing things differently they're yeah. asking questions no one else would ask but the truth is is it makes us better yep. right yep. and so uh, a culture of unity is not optional we have to fight for it and as leaders we have to distinguish between unity and uniformity the second principle that we learn in this text is that a culture of unity sometimes requires outside help um, in verse 3 Paul is writing to somebody we don't know who exactly he calls him his true companion and he says help these women and what he's saying is like, if these two people cannot get unified on their own, you need to bring in a third party. So unity may require help from a third party, and that should be welcomed. Because remember, if the first principle is true, that unity is not optional, then the second principle is important, that we have to be open to getting help from the outside, the gift of outside perspective, expertise. You you kind of joked earlier that you and I were getting counseling three times a week, but the truth is, is that counseling is a very important gift to many couples Uh, to many individuals, and committing to unity means being willing to embrace the accountability that comes from a third person, uh, you know, a third party, I should say. Yeah. Here's how I would boil this principle down. We're all far more idiots than we realize. (laughs) And like... So true about you. (laughs) So what that means is we get so... And anyone who's married knows this is true. Like you get so locked into your perspective and believing that you're right and, and thinking there's literally no other way that you could think about this. And we kind of like fortify ourselves in our own belief. And we, and, and because um, human emotion is so strong, right? It feeds into that and, um, and, and convinces us that we are absolutely in the right. And sometimes it takes an outside voice coming along and going, 
hey, what about this? And it's like all of a sudden just opened your mind up and you go, oh my gosh, I never really thought about that. I never, um, but if the person that you were in opposition to said the same thing to you, like your defenses are so high, you're, you're so, maybe your emotions are so charged, you wouldn't be able to hear it. And so I think having an outside voice, having a third party come in and, and help speak truth, help bring reconciliation, but also clear, help bring clarity around unity. Like, mm-hmm. guys, hold on. This is what is most important here, you know? And so I, I think that's absolutely vital. And some people have a very specific gift, education and training to to manage these moments. And I think we have to be open to that. So, you know, leaders, when you find conflict between team members, you may not have the gift to manage that moment. That is something you probably want to work on and develop a little bit. But even if that's not your primary gift, know somebody else who can come in in those moments and help uh, navigate that. So number one, it's not optional. Number two, it may require outside help. And then the third principle that we learned from these two verses is that a culture of unity means fighting for the same thing. Um, you know, we don't know what's going on with Yodia and Syntyche, but they're both still in the church. They're both still disciples of Jesus. They both still want, I believe, the same thing at this point. Otherwise, Paul would probably be speaking differently about removing one of them or dealing with sin or in their calling lives. one of them out over yeah. the other. Yeah. So they both still ultimately want to see the kingdom of God advance in Philippi and people come to, you know, trust in Christ in the way that they understood it at that time. But maybe what they're fighting about is the way to do it, mm-hmm. right? So there's a difference between fighting for the same mission, which is good. That's the third principle here. Culture unity means fighting for the same mission versus fighting about the methods. Right. And a lot of times it's actually shared passion for a mission that leads to disagreement about methods. You know, if we're on a basketball team together, we're both fully committed to winning the game, but you might think the solution is to pass you the ball all the time. Which is true. And I might think the solution is to sit you on the bench and give you a a good think time about your attitude. (laughs) I think the solution is for you to run a little harder and actually try to rebound instead of sitting at the three-point line. Well, that requires me to be in shape, so... (laughs) Now, and, and that's not an optional method for us. <laughs> I feel like this has turned from an analogy to an actual real life. <laughs> yeah, now we're talking about real things, why we haven't hung out for five months. Yeah. But I think that church leaders and leaders in all different dynamics uh, need to distinguish between what they are fighting about and what they are fighting for. And I think why it matters is sometimes in the midst of fighting, and this can happen with husbands and wives, you know, how are we going to raise our kids? Yeah. How are we going to pay our bills? It's important every now and then to take a time out and say, we want the same thing. Like, mm-hmm. and to identify and name what that thing is. And anytime yep. you're doing any sort of conflict resolution, one of the most important things to do up front is to ask both people, what do you want out of this conversation? And then identify ways in which they can, they want the same things. Yep. That becomes the true north. And then keep, when the conversation starts to unravel, keep pushing them back into that yep. uh, lane to fight together for the same thing. Different methods maybe, but same mission. Yeah. And I think it's important that to recognize some issues are not so black and white. There's not just a right and a wrong every time. You can have two different perspectives. And like I was, you gave the analogy of these two women who obviously have a disagreement about something. We don't know what it is, but Paul's not calling one out over the other as one being wrong and the other being right. So which means they have a different perspective on some sort of issue and maybe they're both right. Maybe they're both partly wrong. Maybe there's a gray area. It's a debatable issue, right? And mm-hmm. so, but the problem is like, this is, if you look at our political climate today, what you're describing needs to happen never happens. Right. There's never, let's take any issue, immigration, right? 
There's never a time where one side who who thinks we need to do this for immigration looks at the other side and goes, hey, we just want you guys to know, like, we recognize that you love people, you value, we, we want the same things, you guys are, um, but here's why we think our, our idea is better. That doesn't happen. It's like, no. you guys hate this. No, you're terrible people. Like, it's it's insulting both sides, right? That's where it goes to. But what you're saying is, hey, let's recognize the things that unite us and for Christians, it's, it's Christ. But even if you're not a Christian, how about people's humanity, their value mm-hmm. and worth? Like no matter what they believe at the end of the day, we all have dignity. We all have value and worth and we share that. And so I think it's so important what you're saying. Yeah. And, and one of the prerequisites for this to even be um, realized is there has to be clear mission. Yeah. Right. If you don't have clarity on, on what your team exists to do, then you don't have anything to keep pulling people back towards when they're arguing about methods. There's nothing more frustrating than arguing about different methods when there's not a shared understanding of the mission. Right. Because they could both be 100% right. Yep. Right, because they got different missions in mind. So if one guy's mission is to do, to like, let's say in a basketball team, one, one person's mission is to win, but another person's mission is to be recruited. Right. Those are two different missions. Yep. And so now the guy who wants to be recruited, his method is I get the ball all the time. But the person who wants to win, their method is we share the ball. And they're never going to see eye to eye because they're not fighting for the same thing. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things is in, in a church culture in particular, having clarity as to your mission. You know, in our church, our mission is simply making disciples for the glory of our God and the good of our community. And so whenever we start talking about disagreements on style of music or, or little things, you know, like programming or what are we offering, what are we not offering, what's on the calendar, what's not on the calendar, our true north is always, hey... We're, we're, we're about making disciples. Yep. And yeah, way A might get us there, way B might get us there, but let's kind of talk through some different ways to navigate these conversations in a healthy way. So, all right, fourth principle on culture of unity from this short passage is that, and this is probably specific, these last two are more specific to the church environment, but a culture of unity keeps the gospel in the center. Paul in verse three, he, he says that these women... They labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. What Paul is saying here is that the very same thing that we fought for is going to help us get back on course when we're fighting with each other. So it's the gospel that we fight for, but it's also the gospel that helps us navigate these moments of disagreement and division. The very thing we contend for helps us to reconcile. And the only thing that I would say about this, and then I would love to hear your perspective, even your experience, um, Unity is hard to attain when people are fighting for something other than the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the ways you mentioned this in our la- on our last point, it, it shifts from saying I disagree with you to saying you're a bad person. Yeah. Right. It shifts from saying we have different perspectives. Right. So best best case scenario, we have different perspectives. Then it becomes we're not just different. You're wrong. Yeah. Your, your perspective is wrong. Then it shifts from not just your perspective is wrong, but you are wrong and there's something wrong with you, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's and ultimate. that's the talking heads on CNN, Fox News, whatever you watch, right? right? And so I think one of the clearest evidences that in the church community we, are, um, we have let the gospel drift away from the center of our hearts and our church is that when we begin to disagree with each other, we begin to attack each other mm. and not just the issues. Yeah. No, that's so true. One of the good metrics for this is your emotions will always reveal 
the idols that you're believing and trusting in. And of yeah. course, the, the concept of idolatry, to use a biblical concept, right, is anything you believe and trust in other than the gospel. So mm-hmm. um, emotions are often like the thermometer, they're the indicator. So what am I very excited about? What am I very angry about? Those things will sh- uh, reveal your uh, reveal to you what your heart is trusting in over the gospel. Right. And so I think from a from a leadership culture, from a team culture, a church culture, um, being able to ask yourself that question, right? Like, why am I getting so angry about this? Oh, okay, it's this person has this different belief than I do. And then you're able to kind of remind yourself of the gospel. It's like, well, at the end of the day, that doesn't matter in comparison to the gospel and what it tells me about who this person is and my my job to love them and how we're brothers and sisters, right? So um, so I, I two thoughts I have is be aware of the indicators in your heart, be aware of your emotions, and then be quick to preach the gospel to your heart. And one of the things that we did in, in our young adult ministry before before I was in the role I'm in now is we started to build a culture of this where we would recognize and publicly be very open about the idols that we tend to struggle with. So for me, approval is a big one. So you start to have conversation with people where you can recognize your own and people around you can help recognize it. And so it's kind of dispels the um, taboo of it. It's like, yeah, we all do this. This is this is human nature. And then we would create a culture where we're encouraging each other to believe the gospel. So it's a quick thing. It's like, man, ah, I'm trusting that again. Like, I got to remind my heart of that. And you'll never get past this. But if you can do those things, be quick to assess and then quick to speak the gospel to your heart. I think this becomes a lot more doable. Yeah, that's so helpful. Kathy Keller, Tim's wife, says, um, I've, I've always remembered this quote by her, partly because I actually don't, I haven't read a lot from her, but this one I remember. She said, pull up your uncontrollable emotions by the roots and you'll find your idols clinging to them. Mm. And that imagery has always stuck with me. And so in this situation where we're arguing about methods, disagreeing on some sort of thing within a team environment, some of the idols I think will manifest, you mentioned approval, but being respected. Yeah. When, when, you're, when your solution is not selected, you, feel, you can feel disrespected. Uh, being right, you know, sometimes it's not even about the matter at hand. It's just about winning. Yeah. And, and being right, being heard, having control, exercising control, or having some level of power. And when you see those things slipping away from you, your uncontrollable emotions show up. Mm-hmm. And that means that the gospel is no longer in the center of your heart or potentially in the center of the team that you're on. And, and like you said, you need to recalibrate and say, you know, remind yourself that I don't always have to be right because Christ is my righteousness. And I don't have to always be respected. Look at Christ, what happened. He suffered tremendous disrespect and dishonor on the cross, but he did it so that I could endure these sort of moments, right? So preaching the gospel to our hearts, so it's good. Last principle of unity here, culture unity, is a culture of unity matters because kingdom work always takes a team. And even if you're not in the church context, I would say meaningful work, right? Any sort of meaningful work always takes a team. There's been a lot written and said um, about it. Malcolm Gladwell has a book where he talks about kind of the um, the myth of the individual success. I'm blanking on the name of the book right the now. Outliers. Oh, Outliers. Outliers, yeah. But, you know, we can start by looking at the ultimate example in all things, Jesus himself, who, if anyone could have gone it alone, son of God, right? Um, you would he, think. Yeah. He gathered a team, and talk about a team that brought a lot of opportunities for conversations on unity. I mean, these guys were zealots and tax collectors and, and you know, more pharisaical backgrounds and, and Essenes and all over the place. Right. 
and and um, the show the chosen really captures well some of those dynamics um, but the other thing is that a team teaches us to appreciate other people to realize we can't do it on our own and we need one another and we need to share our gifts in our lives and so I think one of the reasons why this matters so much is because uh, kingdom work always takes a team yeah yeah a couple of my thoughts on this would be like it's so important to I think the gospel helps provide humility and um, that's so essential because when you're part of a team, one of the things that you recognize, I think, in real humility is I recognize my gifts and I recognize my weaknesses, yeah. and I'm okay in that. Limitations, yeah. So I can I can be around people who are better, and not only can I be around, I welcome being with people who are better than me at the things that I'm not good at, and it doesn't trigger me. It's not hard for me. I'm excited about that, and I think— I think for some people that's easier than others, but a true team, that's that's essentially what you're going to have is a mm-hmm. group of people who all had different gifts and talents, who all have different personalities. They're reaching different people, and everyone is excited about that fact. No one is thinking, oh, man, I, I'm so mad that this person has that opportunity or this person's good at that. I wish I was good at that, right? It's like, no, I'm I'm excited about the gifts God given me, and, and I know the things that I'm not great at, and this, thank God. Thank God I have Jared Barry on this podcast with me to cover my weaknesses. I mean, I'm just saying that maybe something you're thinking. Hypothetical. Hypo- yeah, hypothetical. <laughs> I think you're right, and I think that the only way you're ever going to really value the people besides you who are different than you and better than you in some ways is to keep the mission in front of you and to have the gospel at work inside of you. You know, And so this is so important. This is the one thing every team needs. I don't care how talented and gifted a team is if, they, if they're not unified – eventually the cracks begin to show and the mission begins to suffer. Yeah. Just look at the Patriots this year. Mm. My poor my poor Pats. Yeah. No one feels bad for you. No <laughs> one. <laughs> well, hey, hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. We're so glad to be back. Before we close, we know we know we got to do a little portion we call David's Eats, where we're not only helping you become better leaders, but also better eaters. Um, and so we're going to do, since we just kicked off this weight loss challenge, we're going to do a little diet episode where we ask you, David, what's your favorite go-to food when you're in the midst of torturing yourself, aka dieting? Well, I'm. what I do is I eliminate carbs, mostly bread, uh, rice, pasta, and sweets. So I don't feel like I actually suffer that much. You know, when I'm dipping pork rinds into queso, I don't really feel oh like my, I'm dieting. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, but I guess like, you know, for me, um, I love... I love uh, every morning just starting the day with some eggs and bacon. Like I, I, that's kind of a, a go-to for me. In terms of snacks, like I'm a big, um, I like Italian meats. So like I really like like a hot soppressata. Um, you know, I like, um, you know, even dipping. Like if I want to, like actually for Super Bowl, our friend Jeremiah made this spinach artichoke jalapeno cheese dip mm. and gave me some. Baby. And of course I couldn't dip chips into it, but I use celery and I was fine. You know, I enjoyed it. You get the crunch. And so I would say like a good a good dip um, or or a good slice Italian meat. There you go. I thought you were going to go with just a nice T-bone steak, but hey. That would work too. I also would take a ton of sashimi, but it's so expensive. Yeah. I can't afford to do that. Yeah. No one can afford meat these days. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. This is the Multiply Podcast. We'll see you guys on the next one.